Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. It's something that we Brits are renowned for across the world. Tea drinking. Statistics show we consume 100 million cups a day. That works out at 36 billion each year. And although coffee has grown in popularity, we still consume around a third more tea than coffee. And it would seem our love affair with tea, without adding sugar, which we all like a bit more than we should, could be a shrewd move, as tea without the sweet stuff has been shown to have health benefits. Tea researcher and chemist Dr Tim Bond is from the Tea Advisory Panel. Tea has a wide range of health benefits in terms of reducing your risk of developing certain diseases. Consuming four to five cups of tea a day, that can be black, it can be green, will actually help reduce your chances of developing type 2 diabetes by about 20%. It can reduce your chances of developing cardiovascular diseases, so heart attack, stroke significantly. It's got the right amount of caffeine, which means that you are awake and relaxed, but you're not sort of wired. And of course, with every sip of tea you have, you're hydrating yourself. Even a 2% drop in your hydration levels actually impairs on your ability to think and perform mental tasks. We inherently know across the UK, if a stressful situation crops up, on goes the kettle and we brew a cup of tea as part of trying to diffuse whatever challenge comes our way. And when it comes to soothing stress, I understand there's science to show it's a good move. There's good science to show that the amino acid L-theanine will help us stay calm and relaxed. And even some of the natural phytochemicals in tea, they also actually impact on brain function in a positive manner. There's a belief that the levels of caffeine in tea may be an obstruction to a restful night's sleep. Is that true? It's not true. There is a perception. Absolutely. Um, get that one. But tea actually has the right amount of caffeine with the right amount of water. So obviously, as you're consuming the hydrating water, you're offsetting any impacts on tea. Studies have been shown that you can drink tea all day long with no impact on your sleep. And of course, if you're drinking tea with milk, you're also getting an infusion of calcium as well. Absolutely. Tea is naturally good for teeth and bones because of its fluoride content. Put some calcium in there from the milk. Absolutely. It's a win-win. Just looking at the press release, alongside the conditions we've already highlighted, there's also claims of health benefits for blood pressure, obesity, cholesterol and blood inflammation, digestive problems, even PMS. In terms of the studies that have been done to substantiate these claims about our humble cup of tea, are they wide-ranging, extensive? Yes. Herbal teas actually also have some really good health benefits. Studies are coming from all over the globe now using large groups of people and actually proper scientific techniques. So the studies are very wide ranging, both in terms of geography, numbers of people and our study outcomes. Tea is ticking a lot of boxes across the spectrum. My grateful thanks to Dr Tim Bond from the Tea Advisory Panel. I'm off to put the kettle on. Whilst I do, if you'd like to find out more, log on to our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Keeping you in touch with the health and lifestyle issues that matter. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Gallbladder problems in the UK are relatively common, resulting in around 70,000 gallbladder surgeries every year, an increase, statistics show, of 80% since the turn of the century. 
Despite the prevalence outside of those affected, recent research shows whilst three out of five of us have heard of the gallbladder, very few respondents knew what its function is, let alone where it's located within our bodies. Specialist gastroenterology dietitian Julie Thompson is information manager at the charity Guts UK. A gallbladder is just a storage organ. It's a small pouch. It sits under the liver. It's on the right-hand side of your abdomen, just underneath where the right-hand ribs finish. It stores a substance called bile, and bile's made in the liver. It helps break down fats into smaller molecules so they can get absorbed into the body. And when we eat, and sometimes in between meals, the gallbladder will then squeeze the bile into the digestive tract and helps us absorb fat from food. So that's essentially what it does. What are the most common gallbladder problems? So the main problem with gallbladder is that sometimes gallstones can develop. Gallstones are like little small solid lumps that form. They're actually crystals and then they can grow up to the size of small pebbles. Most people who have them don't necessarily know they have them, but the issue is when the gallbladder squeezes the bile out, sometimes it can squeeze one of the stones out into the duct and that causes quite severe pain, very much in the middle or the right side of the belly just under the ribs. It can travel through to the back and the right shoulder as well and it is quite severe. People can feel sick as well and can be sick with those symptoms. And what can troublesome gallstones lead on to? There's a severe infection called cholangitis. People with cholangitis will have symptoms of a fever. They'll feel really unwell. And that's a medical emergency. Gallstones are a major factor in the development of something called pancreatitis. Pancreas is an organ that produces substances to help us digest food. And it also produces insulin, which helps our body process glucose or sugar. Now, if that gets infected, that's, again, a serious condition. It's one of the most painful situations that people can experience and they need to be treated in hospital. I understand women are twice as likely as men to develop gallstones if you're overweight or if you rapidly lose weight your risk increases. If you're over 40 and the older you get the more likely you are to develop them. If you have a condition that affects the flow of bile, have Crohn's or IBS you're also at heightened risk. Surgery to remove the gallbladder, which we can live without, is usually carried out if you have painful gallstones, and in many instances, that's done as a day surgery. For most people, it's a really safe surgery, and then they may well take sort of a couple of weeks to recover after that at home. Everybody needs to sort of understand the risks and benefits of these things. The surgeon will go through that with people. We've got more information about that on our website if people want to do a little bit more reading. My grateful thanks to Julie Thompson. To find out more and to link through to Guts UK, log on to our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. In the UK, breast cancer incidence rates are lower in women from ethnically diverse backgrounds. In the black community, whilst women are less likely to develop breast cancer, if they do, evidence shows they're more likely to be diagnosed with advanced forms of the disease that are more difficult to treat. New research funded by the charity Breast Cancer Now is set to investigate how to improve the quality of care for black women with breast cancer and reduce health inequalities. Professor Robert Horn from University College London, one of the lead investigators, explains the background to the study. 
It's really trying to apply good scientific principles, but to step inside the patient's shoes and to really see the condition and the treatment from their perspective. What are their thoughts and feelings and experiences? And by understanding that, we can then get some clues on how we could improve care. And that is particularly important to do for the Black community, women who have less chance of getting breast cancer, but the evidence suggests that when they do, their outcomes are worse. And we want to understand why. There's some indication that it might be because they don't feel able to continue with the treatment for long enough. I want to understand why, what's their experience of it? Do they have needs around treatment and support that they're currently not getting for whatever reason, but we could then try and subsequent work, slot that sort of support into the system. What methodology will you employ with this study? We use two approaches. The methodological title for them is qualitative and quantitative. We start off by really trying to dig deep and understand the perspective of a sample of women. You do in-depth interviews for maybe as long as an hour with a person. And then you analyze that in great detail. So we tend to pick a sample of between 20 and 30 people. And what that does is it helps you to really understand the main themes of experience for that group what they think about the treatment, what their concerns are. Do they have unmet information needs? What was the experience of taking it? Did they get side effects? Were they supported? How did they overcome it? We'll also look at what they think about breast cancer and the role of treatment and then subsequent prevention. When we've got the detailed insight from that work, now we need to think okay, how do those beliefs relate to a wider population? Are they things that might apply to many women, the majority of women with breast cancer from the Black community? And the way we test that out is through a survey. So it'll be bigger numbers. And what we're looking at is who holds those views, how strongly are they held, and do they really matter? But we'll also look as a sort of comparative group to an equal number of matched white women. What's the thinking behind that? To what extent are the issues shared across all women with this condition? And to what extent are there some that seem to be really important or more salient for black women? And taking together, those two sets of insight help us to understand what we should do next. Now, we might come out of this with support that's targeted specifically for black women, but there may also be implications for all women with breast cancer. What time frame are you working to? Overall, it'll be three years, but we'll have insights at strategic stages. And we'll be discussing with patient groups and our sponsors, Breast Cancer Now, will want to communicate the results of the qualitative, in-depth interviews. And there may be stuff that emerges, even as the research is going on, that we think should be taken account in thinking about and planning services. My grateful thanks to Professor Robert Horn. To find out more and to connect through to Breast Cancer Now, log onto our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, your personal prescription for your very best of health.